Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you again on another episode of Informed Dissent. How are you doing? Great. Just spent the weekend in Orange County, which is always a therapeutic correction to the mental illness that pervades Los Angeles. So I'm actually doing quite well today. Awesome. That's great. Of course, I live in Orange County and we keep trying to... (laughs) We keep trying to convince you to move across the orange curtain and uh, and join us permanently. So, listen, we've got a we've got a great guest. Uh, many of you who are listening will know this person, and um, I uh, have gotten to know her over the last couple of years. You know, listen, one of the great things about COVID, if there's a silver lining, is I have gotten to know people that I never otherwise would have gotten to know. Uh, some really awesome patriots and friends and. As you and I, Mark, speak on various uh, tours and, and outlets, we kind of bump into the same people over and over again, and this is one of them. And this, of course, is Dr. Judy Mikovits, uh, who was one of the first people to speak out about this uh, pandemic and the shenanigans that were going on, and specifically uh, the issues surrounding uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Judy and I were at a conference this past weekend uh, called Crimes Against Humanity, and I bumped into her and some other famous folks that we're trying to get on our podcast as well. And I always feel like a kind of a starstruck teenager. I'm I try to act cool, but at the same time, I kind of want to take selfies of the people that I'm with. So, Judy, welcome to Informed Descent. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks, Jeff and Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, as soon as you said that, I'm like, yeah, let's get on there because you know, I I, I confused you. Briefly, as you know, with Mark and, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Guys without hair, so I'm just saying. <laughs> so listen, Judy, I, I, I think most of our audience knows who you are, but give us a little background of, um, of what you did from a career standpoint and had, had you, how did you end up as, a, as this rogue scientist spreading the truth and, and kind of having to stay undercover a bit? Well, how funny that is. I, you know, started in 1980 at the National Cancer Institute at Fort Detrick in Frederick, Maryland. And I'm, um, I was then an entry level technician in 1980, just out of University of Virginia with a degree in chemistry with a specialization in biology, because I'm so old, we didn't even have biochemistry in, in 76 through 80. That was one of the first few classes of women at the University of Virginia in the general place. And, um, you know, so I just, I just walked through a a life of doing biological response modifiers, purifying the body's own um, weapons against pathogens and um, using them to enhance our immunity and prevent disease, uh, which is immune therapy, which is vaccines. So uh, who knew, um, you know, one of the first things to come along with was HIV AIDS. And of course, we now appreciate that HIV doesn't cause AIDS if you keep your innate immune response healthy. So it's, um, it's been an interesting journey. And um, I got a PhD in 1992. Um, much to my dismay. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to get a PhD, but it's a really long story. So uh, I, I, I'm i here. I, I came to industry.
industry to think about epigenetics because we appreciated from, that it wasn't the the genetics, it was the expression of the genetics. And so how environmental toxins um, really cripple the responses of our God-given immunities. Um, and here we are in, in, in something called COVID, which is easily um, preventable if we just take care of our God-given immune system. So tell us a little bit about how yours and Anthony Fauci's paths cross. Yeah, well, he was um, NIAID. He's probably 20 years older than me, 15 to 20 years older than me. I'm a technician with Dr. Frank Rossetti. He's my boss. Um, I'm basically the only one he's allowed to hire because he's been fired, discredited. Um, we call it exile to Frederick, Maryland, which most people don't appreciate. Fort Detrick is 50 miles from NIH and Bethesda. So where the where the guys are operating, the you know where where everybody's operating the um, the 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 central location of NIH is 50 miles from that outpost, which was Fort Detrick, which was previously bioweapons. And um, it became the National Cancer Institute in the early 80s. So um, Tony Fauci called me on the phone one day, or he actually called Frank Rossetti. And I'm basically a technician. I, um, for, I, I am a technician for Frank Rossetti. And I answer the phone. I'm the only person that works for him. And I, I'm basically, I make the coffee. I'm the secretary. I answer the phone. I'm a woman. This is how life works. So I answer the phone one day and Tony Fauci's on the phone with, with Bob Gallo and maybe Bruce Chabner, but I'm 24 years old, 25 years old. And they're just basically screaming on the phone, trying to get the isolate of LAV lymphadenopathy virus, which was weaponized to HIV by gain-of-function studies by Fauci and Gallo. And we didn't call them gain-of-function then, but they were yelling at me saying, give us the isolate, give us the paper on how you isolated it. And I was a, I was a technician. And I said, no, that's, that's unethical. And, and, and I have the paper and I have the isolate, but you'll have to wait for Dr. Rossetti and the doctors who, cause I'm just a technician. I'm, I'm not, you know, the, the bios that they say, I never worked for Fauci. I was, we were always NCI, National Cancer Institute. He was always NAIAD. They were collaborating. We were the first to confirm the isolation of LAV. It never was HIV. That's where you get in the garbage that we do today. HIV was never isolated. No, HIV was ne never isolated. LAV was, and it was a slower virus. So Tony Fauci called me on the phone that day. You know, he and Bob Gallo were screaming at me saying, give us the isolate because they've got to do something really quick to get their little patents. And we didn't know any of this at the time. We got it. We've got to make this into something that we can patent and keep the money for the diagnostic test, which was serology at the time. It, it I mean, seeing what we see now in retrospect is... Um, you know, horrific. But I remember the days very well. I remember those guys screaming at me saying, give us the isolate, you know, and it's like, no. And, and, and I, I admit, I didn't say love at the time. I said something else. Um, and, and just, just the way I was, the way I was raised, uh-uh, that's illegal, unethical, immoral. You'll have to wait for Dr. Rossetti. And of course that, that, 
that was silence for many years. Um, and uh, now we appreciate what's going on in COVID as we weaponize viruses from animals and, and you know, inoculate innocent people, experiment on them. And that's the age we're living in right now. So, Judy, you mentioned gain of function. So for our non-scientific audience, to describe what that is. What is. What do we mean when we say gain of function? Well, lymphadenopathy virus was a slow-growing virus. It didn't hurt anybody who wasn't, you know. So gain of function is something that's innocuous. It doesn't hurt anybody at all. And you change a, a few, you change it a little bit so that it's, it escapes the immune system. And basically the innate immune system, your frontline defense. It, it evades the type one interferon responses. It evades the natural killer cell responses. It evades your immune system when you inject it directly, your innate immune system. And, and that gain of function, you, you, you basically allow it to do something which in nature it would never do, which is infect humans. And so that's the problem. Lymphadenopathy virus never was a human virus. And HIV, human immune deficiency virus, was just a little bit of gain of function to make it be a a quicker pathogen. It it wasn't what it should have been. It shouldn't have been that, and we didn't appreciate it at the time. Is, is Is there actually a useful purpose to do gain of function research? Well, we thought so. We We thought so. We thought... I mean, we didn't call it gain of function. Those of us who were in the lab, like me, doing the work, were thinking, let's identify what makes it deadly, and let's prevent that from happening from people to make it deadly. So if we, if we, we didn't call it gain of function. We called it, um, and we didn't call it anything other than let's find out what makes a virus pathogenic, disease-causing, versus innocuous, doesn't bother anybody. And their variants do very same things. At the time, you know, the, these things were innocuous. They didn't hurt anybody who wasn't severely immune-compromised. So when you gain the function, what you do is, is, is make it kill someone who's not immune compromised, make it kill someone or, or compromise or injure someone who would normally have a robust immune response to it. And uh, are you convinced that the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus was uh, created via gain of function as well? Oh, absolutely. SARS-CoV-2 is a, it was a monkey virus that was created in 2004. And I showed at the meeting we were at um, together in the, the Crimes Against Humanity is they published the paper of making the chimera, the three-part virus that um, was it part HIV, part um, syncytin or XMRV, xenotropic um, mouse viruses and part SARS in 2004. So they weaponized that virus in 2004 and injected it as part of every polio vaccine since. And it didn't, it didn't compromise, it didn't hurt, it didn't injure, it didn't spread any but the most vulnerable in our population. So I'm absolutely convinced and the data are all there. Talk, talk to us a little bit about this uh, messenger RNA so-called vaccine. Um, what's your view on it? And uh, do you think it has any efficacy? Some people call it 
uh, a bioweapon? What's your perspective on it? Well, it's not a vaccine. So when you take the blueprint, the message, so it, human beings have DNA, the central dogma of molecular biology, and I'm a molecular biologist, is that we go from our DNA blueprint to messenger RNA, which is translated into protein. But what we appreciate is only 3% of messenger RNA is translated into protein, which runs everything in our body. The rest of it is regulatory. That is what tells the genes what to do at what time. So in taking a synthetic message and injecting it in a synthetic virus, which they call a lipid nanoparticle, which is what Robert Malone has the patent on. Um, viruses are synthetic, are lipid nanoparticles. You know, so we've got a nanoparticle. It's smaller than than a cell. It's nanometer. Uh, a typical coronavirus is a, is and or retrovirus is fifty. We may have lost Judy. Judy, do we lose you? So, Mark, you know, Judy brings up, and, and she's not alone. There are a lot of people out there that uh, call this vaccine a bioweapon, uh, call the SARS-CoV-2 this engineered virus that perhaps was even released on purpose uh, to wreak havoc around the world. You know, the, the level of psychological derangement for somebody to create a bioweapon in the form of a vaccine or purposely release uh, this gain of function created Wuhan Chinese virus. Uh, it's it it's it's hard for so many people to believe simply because, especially in America, we, we're not used to staring evil directly in the eye. But implied in what Judy is talking about and others is a level of evil that many of us just have never confronted or seen before. Something that I've been asked frequently in the last few months when I'm interviewed. What is actually the motivation behind all these so-called errors and disinformation? And clearly, the, obviously, money is a, is a huge driver, and money seems to be one of the most easy and obvious sources to use as an example of motivation. But when I look at it, 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 it really jumps out at me that there, there doesn't seem to be a complete explanation that relies purely on money. And so I'm actually, and I think I've said this before in the last few months, I'm actually now starting to suspect that there's something beyond simple financial gain at play. Uh, because it, it would be possible to make a ton of money without actually inflicting this kind of damage on the population. And I'm, I'm actually entertaining the idea that there, there is a, a component of evil that is present beyond simply the, the financial gain and the narcissism and the sociopathy that you see in, let's say, people like Anthony Fauci. Obviously, it's difficult to prove, but it is very difficult for me uh, to use a kind of a rational explanation uh, of just money and uh, perverse science to explain the extent and the depth of the, the obvious harm that's been caused and brought on not just America, but really the entire world in the last couple of years. You know, you, you talk about evil. Listen, evil people are are acting under the guise of doing good. They they must think that at some level they're actually doing some sort of good. Well, think about just what we heard a couple of days ago with the Biden administration and Mayorkas' announcement 
of the um, creation of the disinformation uh, department to combat so-called lies and disinformation. Now their announcement is that they're going to do good by protecting us from uh, inaccurate information. And yet the, the initials for that, that group are very similar to the KGB, you know, it's the DGB, the Disinformation Board. And it really sounds truly out of something from a George Orwell novel where you get uh, people in charge who are sort of self-anointed uh, uh, elites who know better than all of us and who can do good for us when we can't for ourselves and they make decisions on what information we should or should not receive and if anything comes out that could be dangerous they wind up intercepting it in advance uh, supposedly on our behalf on some level they they believe that they're actually doing good they're actually protecting us and yet the effect is entirely destructive especially when you have such a large concentration of power in the hands of such a small number of people, and it becomes really dystopian. I, I believe that really the best way to combat this degree of ill-begotten evil is really to disperse power uh, across the largest number of individuals. And it seems to me that what we've, if we've learned something from the last few years, which has been very clear to, to me, and it certainly was clear to people like Judy you know, over the last several decades, it just was a lot more opaque to, to the regular people, is that when you get a concentration of power, you end up with uh, almost uh, unavoidable evil. Uh, it's almost like uh, creating a Petri dish, really. And the way that you, you know, obviously, as every layperson knows, uh, you um, disinfect infection is you expose it to sunlight. And, and when you, you block stuff off and you, you close things down into a small little little dish and you allow it to grow and grow and grow, it, it always produces a pathogen. And I think that's what we've really seen in the last few years. We've created pathogens, human pathogens, because we have not um, distributed the knowledge and the power and the decision-making across a broad swath of the population, which I think is really self-inoculating and helps to prevent this kind of growth of evil. We may have lost Judy, so hopefully she'll hopefully she'll hop back on. Um, Temporarily frozen out. <laughs> I think I think the DGB caught our feed. <laughs> They're already intercepting it. <laughs> you know, it's funny you were ta you were talking about this newly created Biden ministry under the Department of Homeland Security, and it's called the Ministry of Truth, and it, it's. <laughs> It's so it's so 1984 dystopic. When I first heard about this, I it literally I thought it was like a Babylon B uh, sitcom thing, and then you hear people from the Biden administration trying to defend it, and it's amazing the um, the the mental gymnastics they're going through to try to defend this. And you know if you if you just switch it around and imagine for a moment just a few years ago under President Trump, him creating some sort of Ministry of Truth. Oh my God, the left would have gone ballistic, and rightfully so, by the way. And I hope many on the right would have pushed back as well. But you hear silence from the left. You hear uh, some of our colleagues in, in Congress pushing back and asking questions. But the idea that the United States of America would create a brand new ministry of truth um, to prevent misinformation and disinformation is dystopic, frightening, and just insane. How do they get away with it? I just don't understand. Can you imagine Trump announcing, 
We're going to be creating a new board. It's going to be called the Disinformation Governments Board, or DGB. And it's going to be the bestiest, most amazing, most awesome group ever. And it's starting tomorrow. Immediately, the left would just go absolutely apoplectic. The Democrats would be up in arms. They would announce uh, you know, a campaign to block this unconstitutional overreach of power and the shutdown of the free expression of our communication and liberties, which is at the core of our democracy, blah, 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 blah. And here we have it announced by the Democrats through Mayorkas. And, uh, you know, all we get is just silence uh, from the Democrat Party. We get we get tons of pushback, of course, by people who actually believe in freedom of speech and, and constitutional government. But certainly no one out of the Biden administration is uh, apologetic uh, for what they're doing. And yet regular people know. I mean, you don't have to be a, an intelligentsia member to to smell that this is this really stinks uh, when you have a government body which is announcing they're actually creating an, a, a truly a, a ministry of truth called the DGB. <laughs> you don't have to be a, a citizen and a student of history to see where this is heading. Um, I, I would have la- I would have thought this truly was a satirical announcement and I seen it in the papers a year ago. And, and yet this is actually happening. Um, we, we really can't even catch up with the level of satire. It's just it's it's so fast. Nobody can keep up with it. No, it's really true. You know, I I posted something. I was reading an article. Uh, it was uh, it's an op-ed in the Orange County Register. I can't remember who the uh, who the writer was, but there was a really fascinating quote, and I looked it up to make sure it was accurate, and it was. And this was several years ago, and I'll read it to you. And this is a quote from Marsha Engel, A N G E L M D. Uh, she was the first female. Uh, editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. The New England Journal of Medicine is one of the most prestigious medical journals in the country. Um, and they they ran into some problems during COVID, um, publishing things that ultimately needed to be retracted. So here's, here's the quote from Dr. Engel. It is no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I reached slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, of course, you know, she was fired not long after coming out with such a statement. But this was 10 years ago, and I don't think things have changed. And unfortunately, many of these medical institutions that people have come to trust um, are now looked at as political organizations. And it's a damn shame. Uh, because we need organizations to do some research that can't otherwise be funded by private funding. And we need organizations to hold pharmaceutical companies and vaccine companies accountable. But the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, and the FDA, um, Food and Drug Administration, now are funded in part uh, up to 50% from the industries that they're supposed to oversee. And it never used to be that way. It used to be that these three-letter healthcare organizations, CDC, FDA, NIH, etc., were funded by taxpayers, and that's what they should be. They're government agencies that the taxpayer should fund to do work on behalf of the American people. Um, but now they are conflicted. 
and uh, what many call their captured agencies. And when you look at some of the research that's done, and, and we need pharmaceutical companies, we need them to produce the next generation of medications. I mean, listen, if not for pharma research, we wouldn't have things like insulin, you know, antibiotics that save lives from uh, various infections and so forth. So they're important, but they need to be regulated very carefully, and they need to be overseen by organizations that aren't conflicted. You know, we saw the head of the FDA um, leave the FDA and then go work for a big pharma company and vice versa. It's incestual and it's not right. And as a result, you know, silver lining as a result of COVID, these things are coming now to the surface. They're, they're being sunshined and people are looking and questioning and the vaccine industry as well. And I'm not anti-vax. You know, I think I'm in favor of safe placebo-controlled safety-tested vaccines. Unfortunately, they just don't exist. And when, if you know nothing else about the vaccine industry, that all vaccine companies are immune from liability, I mean, how could that possibly be? What incentive does a vaccine company have if they have no liability? What incentive do they have to make safe and effective drugs and vaccines if they have no liability? Same with any other company. So it's just wrong. And you know, we didn't talk to Judy about this, and she pops back on, we will, but she was fired. She was fired early in the pandemic for speaking out and spreading the truth, and that happens too often. These whistleblowers are silenced or fired or worse or disappear, um, and it's a shame. And hopefully, with the 2022 elections coming up in November, we'll see a change and we'll see investigations, appropriate investigations, and maybe, just maybe, people will be held accountable. There's a woman who was just recently exposed as a purveyor of true misinformation, a physician on Twitter who wrote for days and weeks and months about her 12 to 15 hour shifts that she was working, trying to save the children from this awful virus and these terrible parents who were not going to vaccinate their children. And she was just typing at the speed of light and the top of her lungs every day to castigate physicians like you and me who inform people of the reality of this infection treatment and the so-called vaccine program, uh, which goes against the national narrative, which is to continue to get shots and to get only treatment that's approved by the federal government, which is only one or two very expensive and life-ending uh, medications, and certainly not to uh, go and get vitamin D and zinc and sunlight and lose weight, etc. Well, she was just exposed just about one or two days ago as actually being on the payroll of the Pfizer Corporation. Perfect. <laughs> and this is exactly the problem that we have not only a government that's in bed with the pharmaceutical corporations. We also have the Disinformation Governments Board, which is banning people or wants to ban people like you and me, but is certainly not going after people like this woman who are literally- What's her name? I don't know her name. She's an Asian woman. She's a doctor. And she was investigated and exposed as being a complete fraud. She does have a medical license, but she doesn't see patients. And she receives all of her payments from Pfizer. And there's actually a photograph of her hugging a Pfizer representative with the Pfizer sign before her in front of one of the Pfizer uh, public uh, uh, party announcements that they had uh, a month ago somewhere back east. And and so all of her, all of her... All of her money is actually directly coming. She, she's, a, she's basically an employee of Pfizer. 
And so she's been hired to literally hired to spread misinformation on social media, which, of course, is being kept um, and is not being banned, uh, unlike, uh, you know, others who are spreading real truth. And so when you when you have this confluence of corrupt government in bed with corporations that are producing vaccines, which have no liability. And as you said, what is their incentive when they have no liability to do good? Well, they really don't have any incentive if they have nothing to lose because social media groups are actually covering up their tracks for them and attacking people who are exposing them. There literally is no way legally or even culturally to um, ensure that they take responsibility and are held accountable for their misdeeds. And that, I believe, may change in part because, as you said, we have an election coming up and also in part because we have an African-American who just recently purchased that social media platform, which is Twitter, who is not going to allow um, this kind of nonsense to continue. He certainly isn't going to ban her, but he's, what he's going to do is going to allow other people to start to expose her and then the actual free market of ideas is going to win out and we're not going to be able to protect uh, that kind of uh, swamp monster anymore. Yeah, it's really interesting to see the reaction on the left to Elon Musk purchasing Twitter. And he's so smart and so so witty uh, as he responds to various people, <laughs> you know, tweeting, tweeting about him and so forth. So I don't know when the sale is going to be complete. And uh, it's really interesting to see. I think it's a great thing that it's happened. Uh, listen, I don't know where I don't know where Elon Musk is going to take this thing, but it's certainly I doubt there's going to be more suppression of information and more banning of free speech. I think we'll see just the opposite happen, and it'll be a, a welcome change. Even though Twitter really op- only represents a very small part of the social media network. That's right. Hopefully, it will be uh, a much bigger component. Uh, once people that have been banned become unbanned and the follower numbers start creeping back up to their realistic numbers, which is what's happening with uh, quite a number of people. I and mean, you get Charlie Kirk and Tucker Carlson and uh, who also have been, have been banned recently. Alex Berenson, some really great voices that have been completely removed from Twitter. And once they get their accounts up and running, the Babylon Bee, another one that's been banned. That's right. Get them, get them all back on. We're actually going to um, rearm uh, one side in this war. The army is going to have their weapons back. I mean, what, what we've been seeing in the last couple of years is basically a, a, a nuclear armed uh, conflict with one side carrying weapons and, and the other side basically being disarmed and uh, being given, uh, you know, nerf guns to fire. And, and finally, we're going to have a, a battle where both sides are actually going to have an, an equal footing. And I think that's that's what I want to see. I think that's really what our country is about is allowing opposing viewpoints to confront one another, to create conflict, and for the best one to actually win out. Uh, we haven't had that for the last few years. Uh, and that's one reason why we're in the position that we're in. It's, it's not because uh, there is a, a losing argument on one side. It is because that argument has not been allowed to be voiced. And once it is, I believe that it will actually conquer uh, the, uh, the side that is uh, truly um, immoral and uh, full of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And that and that that idea is antithetical to science. And I think that's why we're seeing uh, so many dangers in that science is about the exchange of ideas. It's about people with hypotheses that argue and do research and challenge each other. And there hasn't been any of that. There, it's been one-sided. Uh, the vaccine is the answer. Uh, one shot, two shot, three shot more. Uh, go get your booster. 
Uh, they suppress any information about vaccine injuries. You have to dig it up on the VAERS system, and then the VAERS system is um, denigrated as being inaccurate and wrong, even though it's a system that is run by the Biden administration's FDA and CDC. And we're not allowed to talk out against the vaccine. We're not even allowed to point out the fact uh, that this isn't even a vaccine in the classic sense of things. And now they're coming after our children and they want to make it mandatory to attend school to get this vaccine. And it's wrong. And as a result of the lack of scientific vigor, people are being harmed. Informed consent is being put to the wayside. Um, the Nuremberg uh, protocols are being dismissed. And now we have the Ministry of Truth, for God's sakes, in the United <laughs> States of America. What the hell is going on here? History is repeating itself. It's like, it's like Nazi Germany and the propaganda machines. It's, it's unbelievable. But the good news is people are waking up to this, uh, especially the mama bears who don't want their kids to be harmed, uh, who realize that government school indoctrination is real. They saw it during COVID and they're sick and tired of it. They're pulling their kids out of school. Read an article in the register recently that there's been more disenrollment from government schools over the last couple of years than we've seen over the past 40 years. And so good for those parents um, and public schools either need to evolve and start providing a service that parents want and kids benefit from, or they need to go out of business and allow the home schools and the charter schools uh, to populate the land. Ultimately, we need to get rid of the Department of Education. There is no role for government to be um, in, in the education business. It's not in the Constitution. Um, I just read a <clears throat> preliminary report that always comes out in the Supreme Court on the Roe v. Wade case. Uh, and it's, uh, it's written by Samuel Alito, who basically said um, the, the right to abortion is not in the Constitution, and the states have every right to regulate it as they see fit. So we expect to see a ruling similar to that in the coming months, and thank God for that. And, uh, and hopefully as we move forward, we'll regain some of our constitutional liberties, uh, and we'll, we'll put the government back in its box. We need to do that right away. The more people who can begin to speak freely with their strong arguments, the sooner we're going to be able to win the battle. Uh, that physician, by the way, her name is Dr. Risa Hoshino, and uh, she's the Pfizer shill who, <laughs> who's, been, who's been arguing that people really need to start wearing masks and putting them back on children because the children are just suffering. And a quarter of my pediatric COVID patients end up having long COVID. Try telling a child you have no idea when they'll be normal again and see them tear up. They could potentially suffer for the rest of their life. Please wear a mask, get a shot, and get tested. And the whole thing is yeah. complete BS. The whole thing was a lie from beginning to end. And if you look at her, her Twitter feed from a, a, deleted, a deleted tweet from 2021 under hashtag Pfizer careers, there's a, a picture of her giving a hug in front of a sign that was sponsored by Pfizer. So <laughs> she's definitely in bed with Pfizer. I love it. Beth and Doc, maybe you can get her on the show. We'll be gentle with her. <laughs> that, that, that'd be fun. That'd be really fun to have her on. She's reportedly not responding to requests for comment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So... So anyways, Mark, great to be with you. It's a fun show uh, with, with Judy, and we've got uh, more exciting guests coming up. And uh, I look forward to our next episode of Informed Dissent. 
You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.